Good evening, this is uh, Brother Nick Bailey coming to you live tonight uh, from, the, uh, from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on this Friday, December the 17th, I believe that's right, uh, Jan- uh, goodness gracious, Friday, December the 17th, 2021, the United Baptist Church Auditorium, we want to welcome you to another edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. Appreciate you tuning in this evening. And um, again, it's just an honor as we close out another week. We're finishing out the week before Christmas. Uh, TGIF, thank goodness, it's Friday. And I'm just thankful uh, that we're just uh, continuing to move right on in, in this Christmas season. And I say that not necessarily because I'm looking forward to the holiday itself, but I'm looking forward to uh, it being over and getting back to normal if there is such a thing anymore. But we do appreciate your um, choosing to tune in, whether you be watching by way of um, Facebook live stream, uh, uploading it on YouTube, or listening to uh, today's podcast version. And I did hear uh, today of some that have been listening to the podcast, so we want to thank you for that. And um, again, uh, boy, hasn't it been just wonderful weather uh, here in East Tennessee, unseasonably warm temperatures over the last few days. And we're not going to complain about that because I'm sure that before it's all said and done, uh, we'll have our fair share of cold weather. Uh, I do want to praise the Lord for what took place um, uh, Wednesday night, not last night, but the night before, as we had our annual United for Christ Youth Christmas dinner here at United Baptist Church. And praise the Lord, we were able to feed just short of 50 kids, as well as providing many of them with gifts from our church. And I'll just tell you, nothing thrills this preacher's heart and soul as much as being able to work with these young people and be able to minister to them and shine the love of Jesus Christ into their lives. And just to see the big smiles that came across their faces as we were able to to feed them and then provide them all with gifts as we let them off of the van this past Wednesday night. So to God be the glory for that. And you pray for us as we continue to um, try to reach uh, another generation of young people so that they might set their hope in God and, uh, amen, serve them with their lives. So uh, continue to pray for our United for Christ Ministries. If you're looking for a church to be a part of that has a very active uh, and a very um, community-minded uh, youth ministry, uh, I would encourage you to uh, try us out. Uh, no doubt about it, we love these kids. Uh, youth ministry has uh, definitely become a passion of mine, and not just myself, but those who uh, help me and work uh, with our children. So praise God for that. I just um, want to remind you tonight about the first ever Voice of Hope crusade that's going to take place on Saturday, January 29th, 5 o'clock p.m. at the Convention Center in Gatlinburg. Again, that is the first ever Voice of Hope crusade that's going to occur on Saturday, January 29th, 5 o'clock p.m., at the Convention Center located in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Brother D.R. Harrison and the entire Voice of Hope team will be hosting that event. And uh, Brother D.R., as well as uh, Pastor Greg Locke, Dr. Kevin Jessup, they will be providing the preaching.
for this um, first uh, ever crusade put on by Voice of Hope Ministries. And then the kneelings of the day in the Wilmington Celebration Choir, not, uh, can't forget the Browders. They're going to be providing music for this special event. So remember that again, the first ever Voice of Hope Crusade that's going to take place Saturday, January 29th at 5 o'clock p.m. at the Convention Center in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I uh, want to encourage you to continue, uh, you know, uh, again, continue reminding everybody to come out to the Art Thrift Store as we still have a, a large uh, assortment of Christmas items. So if you're still uh, trying to decorate for Christmas or whatever it is you're trying to do, we are still uh, very well stocked with Christmas supplies. And uh, please continue to pray for this ministry, the Art Ministries, that the Lord will continue to use it to be a help and a blessing to those in our community right here in Greenville and Green County. All right, by way of prayer uh, requests tonight, several requests I want us to pray for. Remember Elizabeth Ward, remember uh, Harold Chapman, remember Sam Hardy, friend of mine that's recovering from um, brain surgery. Continue to remember Sam Stillner. I talked to Sam today by text, and he's been out there passing out uh, Bibles. Uh, at the mall, I believe. So continue to pray for Brother Sam. Continue to remember my dad's health. Remember Cohen Connor. Remember Elle McCalkin, Vicki Steeles, uh, a lady by the name of Ruth and her husband, Timmy. Uh, remember Tammy Castile. These are just a few. Uh, and also uh, Tina in prayer. But specifically tonight, I want us to remember uh, my dear friend, Brother Roger Stockton, again, pastor of Greystone, Free Will Baptist Church here in Greene County, as Roger has been in the hospital, he's been sick uh, pretty much, you know, for the majority of the time that we've been doing these broadcasts. He's had COVID, he's been putting up a fight, but Roger's not well. So they've scheduled a time of prayer tonight, and it just so happens that it coincides uh, with tonight's broadcast here in the Trumpet Series. So I don't think that's an accident. So I want us to devote a special uh, portion of time on today's uh, episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast to remember my dear friend, uh, fellow pastor here in Greenville, Tennessee, Brother Roger Stockton. So if you would at this point in time, let's just uh, again pray especially, and we're not discounting the other prayer requests that were made, but we just want to place a special emphasis upon Brother Roger Stockton tonight. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for this opportunity we have, Lord, just to have uh, this broadcast. And thank you, dear Father, for uh, the open door you give to us. And Father, we pray that you would continue to use your word as it's given out to transform lives. But Father, Lord, especially today, I want to come to you on behalf of my dear brother, Roger, Lord, of whom I love. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for the influence that he's had on my life, and God, just uh, the example that he set before me as a younger minister, uh, Father, all the many years of, of devoted and faithful service he's given towards you and towards the churches that he's pastored. Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd intervene and intercede on his behalf right now, God, in the hospital, God, as he's been fighting this uh, dreadful illness. But God, we know that you're the great physician. Father, we know that you are still in the healing business, God. And Lord, uh, Father, you are able to uh, heal our infirmities and our diseases. 
But God, we know that you do that according to your will, Father. Lord, we don't believe that uh, you impart uh, uh, gifts to men uh, to healing to heal individuals, Lord, other than uh, the talents that doctors have per se. But God, we do believe that you can heal. So Lord, I pray that if it be thy will, I pray you'd bestow that healing touch on my brother. God, bring him up out of that hospital room and God, do it for your honor and your glory. God, not only for Brother Roger, but also for his entire family. Lord, Miss Linda and Lord, all the children and grandchildren that you've given to him. Lord, comfort them during this time of need. I know they're tired, Lord. I know that they're weary, God, from all of the late hours they've spent. Lord, sitting up with their, their loved one, God, but... Lord, not only the family, but the entire church there at Greystone and Brother Dylan and all that uh, are working, the deacons that are working to oversee that congregation, especially in Roger's absence. I pray that you'd put a hedge about that congregation. God, help those people to remain unified together during this time, God of uncertainty. But God, I pray you'd comfort them. And Lord, I pray, Father, you just perform a miracle, God. Lord, we just believe that you're able to do all things. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, according to thy will, that you would impart that physical touch and you'd bring healing to the body of my dear brother, Roger Stockton. And God, we're going to uh, make sure that when you do that, Father, God, we give you the, all the credit and all the honor and the glory and the praise that's due thy high and holy name. God, again, bless today's edition of the Trumpet Series broadcast. God, give me the strength physically and mentally, God, to deliver these truths tonight, God, enlighten my mind, uh, and God, anoint my lips, God, that I'd share thy truth, God. Uh, Father, Lord, I pray that your word might make the difference, might get the job done, and God, I pray that your word might, uh, might go forth and it might uh, produce a life-changing effect in the hearts and the lives of all who listen uh, or watch it here today. And Father, we're going to praise you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So God bless Brother Roger and Miss Linda and that entire family and church family. Uh, amen. Uh, and I'm just believing in a miracle, believing for a miracle on behalf of my dear brother and my dear friend. All right, tonight I want us to spend our time studying verses 18 and 19 as we draw uh, ever closer to finishing out our study of Romans chapter number 5, again, uh, uh, what has been a tremendously wonderful study, uh, one of the greatest single chapters that is found in the entirety of God's Word. And I'm telling you, friend, if you're looking for some Scripture with substance and uh, that digs way down into the deep doctrinal truths of the Bible, then I'd highly encourage you to uh, consider studying uh, Romans chapter number 5. Theologically and doctrinally speaking, it simply doesn't get any better than the verses we've been uh, examining over the last couple of weeks uh, here in Romans chapter 5. And yes, I did say last couple of weeks. This is just one of those chapters. You might as well not get in a hurry. You might as well not rush through it, but give it the, the, the due time and attention that it's worthy and deserving of. So we just... Um, Amen. We just uh, plow, we, we just lowered it down to first gear and kind of just uh, uh, plotted our way through this and tried to uh, uh, partake of some of the great meat that is found in these verses. On yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago on Wednesdays, 
episode of the broadcast, we looked at verses number 16 and 17 as we continue to examine this great contrast that is provided to us in these verses regarding what we lost by way of the affiliation we have with the first man Adam as opposed to what we gain through the newfound identity we who are saved now have been given through the God-man, uh, Jesus Christ. And yesterday we spent quite a bit of time talking about the super, support, superiority excuse me, of the gift of life we who are saved have now received by way of our justification through the God-man Jesus, as opposed to the gift of condemnation and judgment that we received from the first man Adam. And again, we use that... Um, illustration of a gift card and how that uh, if Adam were sitting across from us, he gave us a gift card uh, of just, uh, excuse me, that contained judgment and condemnation because of our sin. That is the gift that we receive from Adam. Thanks, uh, brother. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Hallelujah. But then Jesus gave us the gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but I'd take the gift of Jesus over the gift of the gift of the God-man, Jesus Christ, over the gift that we received through the first man, Adam, any day of the week. Uh, praise the Lord for the fact that what I lost by way of Adam, I gained it all back and then some, uh, so much more through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 18 and 19, the Bible says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so... By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now let's begin tonight by noticing what I want to refer to as an elaboration. Verse 18, Therefore as by the offense of one, judgment came Upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, in this verse, Paul continues to elaborate and expound on the statements that he previously made in verses 16 and 17 regarding what we gained through the God-man as opposed to what we lost through the first man, Adam. And the reason we know that to be the case is because of the very first word of verse 18, therefore, which again points backwards towards what has already been written in the previous verses. Remember, and again I've said this before, but I want to continue, uh, amen, to, uh, to emphasize it, and that is when we see the words therefore or wherefore in the Scripture, we must go back and find what they're there for. Amen. It's the principle of context. So that we're not taking these verses out of context and making the Word of God in the Bible uh, mean something entirely different than what God intended for it to say and mean. But again, we're interpreting the Word of God according to the context. Uh, considering what was written ahead of time as well as what is written afterwards. And that principle of contextual interpretation will keep you, uh, amen, for, from... Um, uh, misapplying and misinterpreting the Scripture as much as any other principle of interpretation. But here in verse number 18, Paul continues to expound and elaborate on the, the great contrast he's making 
over the last uh, several verses between the first man, Adam, and the God-man, Jesus Christ. In this verse, Paul begins to focus upon the significance and the importance of individual acts and singular choices that were made by both Adam and the Lord Jesus that resulted in long-lasting consequences upon others that are still being felt even in our world today. Notice how that in the first part of verse number 18, Paul refers to the offense of one. Speaking of Adam, but then towards the latter part of the verse, the apostle then makes reference to the righteousness of one. When he writes concerning the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, this, this unique and this very distinct contrast. That are, that are, that, amen, it's miles apart, polar opposite. Uh, talking about the offense of one man uh, as opposed to the righteousness of one man. So again, one man's individual act of offense or transgression, Adam, the first man, as opposed to another individual's act of righteousness, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how that Paul then describes the results or the consequences of both singular acts committed by both individuals. When he first makes reference to the offense of Adam that resulted in judgment, as opposed to the righteousness of Jesus resulting in the free gift coming upon all men. And here I believe the phrase free gift speaks regarding the gift of God's amazing grace that again is bestowed upon all who are saved. Uh, I'm thankful for God's grace, amen, not by works of righteousness. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But then notice also how that the judgment of God that was a consequence and a result of the one act of offense Adam committed produced condemnation uh, or eternal death and punishment in the lives of Adam's offspring. Whereas the free gift that was a result of the one individual act of righteousness committed by the Savior, Jesus, produced what the Bible refers to as the justification of life in the hearts of those who are saved. I'm talking about a very clear, distinct, polar opposite contrast that is made uh, regarding the offense uh, of Adam um, versus the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul is going into a great deal of specifics to describe the details of this contrast that he continues to make in this verse between what man lost through Adam versus what man gained through Jesus. And what we're really seeing here is a downward progression, a spiraling out of control uh, process that occurred in Adam's offspring uh, by way of the one act of offense that the first man Adam committed. Again, as we mentioned earlier on in our study of the book of Romans, man is not evolving. Man is not getting better. Man is not improving upon himself. Man is devolving. Man is worsening. Uh, amen. The effects of Adam's sin has caused man to spiral out of control in a downward direction. Amen. And the only remedy and the only hope that man has for this out of control downward uh, spiraling process to end and to cease is for Jesus Christ to intervene to turn man around and to change his direction. But then what we see through the God-man Jesus 
is an upward progression. Again, uh, through Adam, man is heading downward, but through Jesus, man is heading upward. Amen. Do you want to go down or do you want to go up? It's that simple. You better not put your hope and your confidence in uh, the first man, Adam, but you better put your hope and your trust and your confidence in the God-man, Jesus, because who's... uh, you know, depending on who you put your trust in, that depends whether or not you're headed up with Jesus or down in the wrong direction. Uh, again, an upward direction that starts with a singular act of righteousness that produced a free gift of grace that came upon all men and then resulted in a justification of life towards all who believe and are saved by the amazing grace of God. Basically, It depends upon the individual act of which man we choose to hang our hat on. Whether it be the act of offense committed by Adam or the act of righteousness committed by Jesus Christ. That will determine whether or not we end up headed in an upward direction with Christ or a downward direction into the flames and the fires of a devil's hell. But now there's a rebellion. Let's move right into verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience. Here Paul continues in verse number 19 to expound and elaborate on the point he was attempting to convey and get across in verse number 18. But this time Paul describes this individual uh, uh, singular offense he referred to in verse 18 as an act, uh, not just an offense, but here an act of disobedience which could also be translated into the word rebellion. And friends, although we sinners like to minimize the seriousness of individual acts of disobedience that we commit against God and against the Word of God, that doesn't change the severity of those acts in the eyes of a holy God. Friend, when you choose to disobey God and rebel against the Word of God and the truth of God's Word, Uh, regardless of of what the devil might convince you, uh, and he may cause you to underestimate the seriousness and the severity of that one act of disobedience that you uh, commit in your life, I promise you this, in God's eyes, it's a very big deal and a very serious matter. Samuel told Saul, amen, in 1st chapter 15, verse number 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And he then told him, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Friend, I'm telling you tonight that one of the most dangerous things you can do is to stub up and to rebel and to disobey God's word as it's been given out to you. Amen. God's word is an ultimatum. It's, it's, It's not given out in our response. God doesn't, Uh, expect us to respond with a take it or leave it uh, kind of mentality. Amen. He expects us to obey God's Word and submit ourselves to the Word of God. So when you in your life uh, become uh, lifted up with pride to think that you have the right to stub up and to rebel against uh, and to be disobedient to what the Bible says, friend, uh, you're walking on thin, you're you're on thin ice, and you're walking on dangerous ground. In the eyes of God, He sees it as nothing short of individual rebellion. Uh, and again, Samuel describes it in First Samuel fifteen verse twenty three. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
You might out to, to, debate, to disobey God's word and to rebel against the word of God. You might ought to, you, you might as well just be a devil worshiper to choose to do such a thing. And listen, friend, it may just be one singular act of disobedience, but we can rest assured that the consequences of that will be very steep and very severe. Hebrews 10.25, Paul wrote this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And, and how many have tried to trivialize that verse and are just blatantly rebelling against uh, the commandment that's given to us, uh, the importance of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, amen. Uh, but listen, uh, for if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing uh, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And friend, I want to remind you that in the context of this passage, Paul was writing concerning what many in our day might view as the trivial sin of being faithful, uh, unfaithful in our church attendance and, the, in, and in the assembling of ourselves together on a regular basis. And according to the apostle to be negligent, even in that one area of our lives spiritually, was the equivalent of presumptuous and premeditated sin. And Paul uh, compared it to the likes of trampling it under our feet, the blood of Jesus, and actually despising the amazing grace of God that saved our wretched souls. And friend, when you disobey God's word, when you rebel against what the Bible says, and if you stub up against the truths of the Scripture, in essence, you are blaspheming the blood of Jesus. You're trampling in under your feet the blood of Christ and you're despising. You might as well be spitting on God's grace, amen, than to willfully rebel against what the Bible says. And according to Paul, the consequences of such disobedience would be very steep and very severe in and upon the lives of God's people. Friend, what the devil would just love to do in your life would be, would be to get you to underestimate the seriousness uh, of sin's consequences. And I'm sure that the first Adam could never have imagined just how serious and how great of an impact that one offense and one act of disobedience would have, not just in his own life, but also in the lives of so many others who followed after him. Again, I'm just talking about partaking of the forbidden fruit. God said you can eat of every tree in the garden except this one uh, tree. Do not partake uh, of that fruit. And Adam chose to do it anyway. And as a result, the whole uh, human race, Adam's offspring, has fell into sin. And many have died because of the consequences of that one individual act of sin. 
Uh, I'm sure if you would have told Adam such a thing right before he committed that first offense, he would have called you crazy. But it doesn't change the reality of the matter. And friend, the devil wants to trivialize or minimize the seriousness of our sin. It's no big deal. Just go ahead and do it. Everybody else is doing it. Uh, amen. Uh, nobody else makes a big deal of what the Bible says. Just go ahead and do like everybody else, friend. I'm telling you, uh, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we can be sure that our sin's going to find us out. Sin's going to take us further than we want to go. It's going to keep us longer than we ever want to stay and cost us more than we ever thought we'd have to pay. Now there's a deprivation. Many were made sinners. Uh, here, uh, verse number 19, Paul is describing to us how that many were made sinners all because of Adam's one individual act of disobedience unto the Lord. And because of one man's sin, everyone who would henceforth be conceived in and through Adam's race would enter into this world in a fallen, depraved, and sinful state. Psalm 51 verse 5, David wrote, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And this goes back to what we uh, previously discussed in a prior episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast, how that... Uh, we don't even have to commit individual acts of sin in order to become sinners. Before you ever sinned against God, you were already a sinner in the eyes of God. Every human being that is conceived of the seed of man is infected with the, that gene of sin and that virus that's a whole lot worse than COVID that is defi defied, all, defiled excuse me, all of Adam's race. And as a result, before we ever sinners by choice, we're all, we've already been identified by God to be sinners by nature as well as sinners from the time, not just of our own birth, but from the time that we were first conceived in our mother's womb. Now there's a submission. Verse 19, So by the obedience of one. So here we go in the contrast. Again, Paul has already vividly revealed to us what we lost through Adam. Uh, amen. That one act of disobedience, many were made sinners. But now he moves away from Adam and he began what we lost through the first man, Adam, and now he's going to talk about what we gained through the God-man Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Paul is referring to what he identified to be an individual act of righteousness committed by Jesus Christ as an act of obedience. Uh, again, Adam uh, committed one act of disobedience and it condemned all men as sinners. Uh, amen. Jesus committed one act of obedience and one act of righteousness and as a result, many were made righteous because of it. Now the truth is it's awfully hard to confine or condense anything about the life of Jesus Christ into one singular act of obedience or righteousness. Why? Because ultimately the entirety and the totality of Christ's life here on earth could be summarized as being both a life of righteousness and obedience. Everything that Jesus did from the point of His birth all the way through His 33 and a half years of life here on earth, right up into the very day that He uh, willingly uh, laid and offered him, himself 
down as a voluntary sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Uh, amen. Everything that Jesus did, He did out of a heart of absolute righteousness and total submission and obedience unto the perfect will of His heavenly Father. And again, this all climaxed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus died when He cried up and He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. And nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. Jesus was uh, absolutely submitted and surrendered to doing the perfect will of His Father. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, some of my favorite verses in the Word of God. Paul wrote this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of man, listen, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. How many of you tonight are thankful that the Lord Jesus, amen, again, He said, Nevertheless, not my will, Father, but Thine be done. And as a result, He humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Matthew 10, verse 28, the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many, 1 John 3, 16, where the apostle wrote, Hereby perceive with the love of God how He laid down His life for us, so ought we also to lay down our lives for the brethren. And in effect, I can't think of two better words to summarize and to describe the entirety and totality of the life, of Je the life that Jesus lived while He was here on earth that are any better than the words righteousness and obedience. Specifically, both in Verses number 18 and 19 of Romans chapter 5, I believe Paul has in mind the one single and greatest of all acts of righteousness and obedience in mind that Jesus committed here on earth as being the time when He willingly, freely, and voluntarily gave and offered up Himself and His own life on Calvary's tree as a blood atonement and a redemption sacrifice on behalf of man's sin. When, when Paul here is writing, and, and you know, again, he's contrasting uh, uh, what we lost from Adam versus what we gained through Jesus Christ. He said, by one man's act of disobedience, many are made sinners, but by the obedience of one, many were made righteous. What's, Jesus, what's Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about that singular act of obedience where Jesus... Again, no man uh, took his life from him. Jesus willingly and voluntarily and freely offered his life down and offered it up for us as a sacrifice, blood sacrifice and an atonement for our sins. That act right there is the epitome of any act of righteousness or obedience that could ever be committed. I want to remind us all here tonight regarding uh, the importance of obedience, of obedience in, the, in the lives, in our lives as Christians. First Samuel chapter 15, we've already alluded to part of that statement that uh, Samuel made unto Saul. Verse number 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And friends, 
I'm convinced now more than I've ever been at any other time in my life that the true heart of worship is obedience. And if you want to know what proves and demonstrates a heart that is genuine, sincere, and truly fixed towards God more than anything else, it is individual acts of obedience that are committed towards the Lord. Where there is no obedience, there will be no true worship. No doubt about it, friend, as much as anything else that could ever occur in our lives, singular acts of obedience go up as a sweet-smelling savor into the nostrils of God and an offering of incense that is pleasing and acceptable unto the Lord our God. And if you want your sacrifice of praise, and if you want your worship that is offered up unto the Lord, it better be made out of a heart and an attitude of obedience, or else it will be rejected. Let me just ask you here tonight, how many of what, how many of what is being done uh, out of a supposed, uh, in the light of worship, in the name of worship, how much of what is being done today and called worship in our day is being rejected by God? Amen. If it's not done out of a heart of obedience, it, will, it is false worship, and it will be rejected. Amen. But uh, if you want your sacrifice of praise to be accepted, it better be done out of a heart of obedience. Uh, amen. Just like Abel's offering was accepted. But if not, it will be rejected just as the Lord so adamantly rejected the offering of Cain. Listen, friend. Although Cain's offering may very well have been a sincere offering, amen, it was... Uh, amen, it was of the fruit of his own works, amen, rather than a blood sacrifice. And because it was, uh, because uh, Cain's sacrifice wasn't done out of a heart of obedience, it was rejected, whereas Abel's was accepted because it was according uh, to, to the uh, instructions that God prescribed to him. Uh, I'm afraid that in our world today, there's a whole lot of vain worship going on in our, in our land that is simply being rejected by God. Let me ask you here tonight, how much of what is done in the name of worship, uh, Sunday after Sunday, uh, week after week, will people gather into these mega auditoriums and supposedly lift up their hands to worship God and sing songs of uh, praise and testify and shout and sing and uh, preach and all these other things. Uh, and supposedly in their own minds, and they may sincerely think that they are worshiping God, when in reality, if you examine the lives that they're living, uh, their worship is not being done out of a heart of obedience. And because of that, it's rejected. Just like Matthew chapter 15, verse number 8 and 9, Jesus said, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and listen to that statement, but in vain they do worship me. And I'm afraid that in our world today that there's a whole lot of people that are attempting to worship the Lord and maybe doing so with a sincere attitude, but because, uh, amen, they're saying one thing with their lips, but they're doing an entirely different thing altogether with their hearts, their worship is in vain and it's being rejected by God. It's not making it any further outside the ceiling of the local church they're attending. There's a lot of people, I want you to listen to me here this evening. Oh my, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. There's a lot of people that are attempting to worship God 
uh, from the confines of their homes. And don't get me wrong, uh, worship is a seven day a week thing. And if you're not worshiping God outside of His house, then He's not going to accept your worship that is done inside the house of God. But friend, there's a time and a place and if people think that they can sit on their couch on Sunday morning and be negligent in their church attendance and eat potato chips and drink a Coke and watch the live stream when they should be, they could be and they should have their hind ends planted on a church pew somewhere. Amen. Hey, that's vain worship. That's worship that's being rejected. I believe that it makes God sick and I believe it makes God want to spew them out of His mouth for such Fake and false and shallow forms of worship. Luke chapter number 6 verse 46. Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? As the old... Uh, listen, again, we can, we can praise Him. We can uh, call Him Savior and Lord and Master. But then uh, we, we're rebellious and we're disobedient. And we don't obey the Word of God and submit ourselves to His truth. Uh, amen. We're hypocrites. And who do we think we're fooling anyway? You think that we've uh, uh, got the, pull, the wool uh, pulled over God's eyes? You're crazy, friend, to think that you could fool God with insincere, fake, and false worship. As the old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Finally, verse number 19, there's a transformation. Shall many be made righteous? Here, in this statement, we find the result of the one single act of obedience that Jesus committed when He died on the cross and suffered and bled for man's sin. Again, the result and the consequence of Adam's one act of disobedience. It, re it resulted in the condemnation of all sinners. But listen, by Jesus, one act of obedience. And when He submitted Himself uh, completely and wholeheartedly to His Father's will and said, Nevertheless... Not my will, but thine be done. As a result of that one singular individual act of obedience, the Bible tells us that many sinners were made righteous because of it. And as we've already said, the entire life and ministry of Jesus Christ could be summarized by the words righteous and obedience. Yet I believe all of Christ's life here on earth pointed towards the great climactic moment that brought it all together uh, amen. That is when the blessed Lamb of God obediently submitted Himself unto the will of His Father by offering up His own body, laying His own life down, and shedding His own life's blood on Calvary's rugged cross. And in doing so, that one act of obedience secured the righteousness and the eternal justification of many sinners. Again, not all. Not that Jesus didn't want them all to be saved because He did, but only those who accept Him and receive Him and submit themselves to Him and choose the sacrifice of Christ over uh, the awfulness of their sin, only they will be justified. I mean, many sinners though, not all of them, but many sinners were made righteous and were eternally justified. Amen. And because of that, they would henceforth believe on His name and allow His holy and righteous blood to be applied under their own accounts. Amen. 2 Corinthians, and I'll uh, close here tonight, chapter 5, verse 17. Paul wrote this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become brand new. Friend, there's no power 
in this earth greater than the power of a changed life. I'm dealing with somebody right now. He may listen to this. He may watch it. He knows just exactly that I'm talking about him. Amen. But I'm talking about the, the power of a changed life. Darkness to light. Lost to found. Dead to life. Blind. And now he's able to be seen. Why? Because God changed his life. He was going one direction. God turned him around. He was going down. Head, headed in the way of Adam. A downward. And a depraved. And a condemned uh, destination. But yet God turned him around. Picked him up. Lifted him up out of that horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. Set him uh, set his feet on a solid rock and established his goings. Put a new song in his mouth. Even a song praising the Lord his God. Now he's headed in an upward direction. And every time you're around him, you see the glow, the Shekinah glow of God's glory radiating, radiating, radiating out of his life and off of his face. And God's going to use him to do a great and a mighty work for his name because you cannot deny the power of a changed life. Can I get a witness here tonight? But then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul wrote, For he hath made him, the Father hath made the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who was sinless, became sin for us so that we who were sinners might become the righteousness of God in him. And remember, this all came about as a result of the one act of obedience that took place in and through the life of, of the Savior's Amen. Friend, I'm telling you, just as we talked a couple of days ago, boy, we wouldn't take anything for that most valuable treasure that we possess, that brand new robe of righteousness that the, the, the blessed Lamb of God wrapped around us when we got saved. Amen. I took off the old coat and I put a new one on. Amen. Made out of the valuable material of God's, the righteousness of God's Son. It's eternal. It's incorruptible. It can't be torn. It can't be stained. Uh, amen. Can't be tainted or spotted by sin. I am wearing a brand new robe of righteousness uh, that is eternal. Uh, amen. And, and one of these days, it's already been predetermined. Uh, amen. Uh, God has predetermined and predestined. Amen. That my life will be conformed unto the image of His Son. Just as if just as it is with the acts of disobedience. One act of disobedience. We must never underestimate the importance of individual acts of obedience in our lives. Uh, again, the outcome, whether it be in our lives or in the lives of other people. I'm telling you, friend, when God, listen to me as we close tonight, I'm trying to give you a practical application to the truths we've been trying to convey here this evening. When God clearly and unmistakably shows you or leads you to do something, you better do it. Because you never know just how high the stakes may be. And you just never can tell what kind of ramifications may rest upon your decision and your choice to either heed or ignore the voice of God, whether it be in your life or in the life of somebody else. No doubt about it, whether or not people go to heaven. Did you hear this preacher tonight as we close? Whether or not we people go to heaven or end up burning forever in the flames and the fires of a devil's hell may depend on whether or not I am sensitive to God's voice and whether or not I'm willing to do what He tells and leads me to do. I don't want other people to end up burning forever in hell. I don't want to have the blood of sinners dripping off of my hands when I stand before God one day all because I chose uh, to be disobedient. I chose 
to ignore the voice of God. I chose uh, to rebel against the Word of God and choose to go my way rather than the Lord's. Well, I'm telling you, friends, souls are at stake and you better submit your life. Think of what would have happened if Jesus... Uh, of course, I don't believe Jesus could have did that because I don't think Jesus had a sinless nature. Uh, I believe in the impeccability of Christ. I don't believe Christ could have sinned if He wanted to. But let's just say that He could have sinned and let's just say that Jesus would have chosen... Amen. And he said, Father, it doesn't matter what you say. I'm I'm not going to drink this bitter cup. I'm going to let it pass from me and let somebody else drink from it. If so, the whole world would have been condemned. Every man would have followed the course of the first man, would have gone downward in the direction that the first man, Adam, led, led them instead of being lifted up by the voluntary sacrifice Jesus made. I'm telling you, friends, whether or not we obey or disobey God, uh, we, can't, we can't even understand or realize the seriousness uh, of the consequences of whether or not we choose to obey or disobey God. Father in heaven, I love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to come, um, Lord, uh, to come to this audience by way of the Trumpet Series broadcast. Thank you for everyone that has tuned in today, that is watching or listening. And Father, I pray you'd use your word to make a difference in their lives. And God, I pray that the word of God might cut our hearts. Uh, Lord, because it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Cut us going in and cut us coming out, Father. Lord, I pray that it'd soften us up. And Lord, that the seed of God's word would be implanted in our hearts, God, and bear an abundance of fruit in our lives as we yield ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to Thee. God bless my dear brother Roger. God, I pray again that You bring healing to his body, Father. Lord, do it for Your glory. Get glory. Bring glory to Your high and holy name tonight, God, by healing the body of my dear brother Roger Stockton. I love You and I praise You. I thank You. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and for His sake we ask these things. Amen. Have a good night. And God bless is our prayer.